We are Embedded Insider. Thank you for tuning in. I am Laura Dolan, Technology Editor with Embedded Computing Design. I am here with my colleagues Rich Nash and Brandon Lewis, and we are all in the same room for a change, which is nice. So, gentlemen, there is a new organization out there for the hardware. Have you guys heard of this new hardware group called Open Hardware Group? Yes, I have, <laughs> and it's interesting that the tie-ins with Risk Five. The founder of this of the Open Hardware Group is Rick O'Connor, who had been the uh, what was it? executive director. He's executive director of the Risk Five Foundation. Now he's moved over with this new group, and their charter is hardware, and and they're basing it initially around Risk Five hardware to have open source hardware. First thing that pops in my head, you know, when we talked about Risk Five in general, is it the arm killer? Well, here we are actually talking about real hardware. Is this the arm killer? I'll let you answer, Brandon. <laughs> I don't know that I'd call it the arm killer, but it's definitely um, an indication of the growing momentum around open source silicon and open source hardware in general. Uh, moving from the ISA up into actual IP, uh, that's what the open and, and supporting tools, that's what the open hardware group is all about. And yeah, it's becoming real. So there have also been other groups, MIPS Open, um, that, are, that have sprung up since RISC-V actually took hold. So mm -hmm. it looks like what was maybe a nuisance to the likeness of ARM is, is not going to go away. But I think it's a little weird with the open hardware and, and there's open software, open source software, obviously, and you're putting, a divide, you're putting some sort of divide between them. Why not have the open hardware be part of one of the open software groups, either part of RISC-V, part of something else, why it's on group, I don't know. Well, I think for that we may need to um, ask somebody who has a little bit more knowledge of the industry and the ecosystem than ourselves, huh? Who has more knowledge of the industry <laughs> than ourselves? Is, is that even possible? Well, not cumulatively. <laughs> there you go, I agree. Laura? Thank you, and I say we turn it over to one of our experts who is joining us on the phone now. Today we are speaking with Rick O'Connor. He is the founder and CEO of Open Hardware Group. Rick, thank you for taking the time to speak with us today. Uh, thank you, Laura. Look forward to the conversation. So, Rick, we've been talking about what this, what this group means with respect to RISC-V and RISC-V Foundation. Why don't you start by just explaining to us what this group is all about and why it exists? Sure. As you know, I started the RISC-V Foundation you know, back in 2015, and that's grown tremendously. We've had great success in the ecosystem, plenty of adoption of the RISC-V ISA. And in particular, right, the foundation is responsible for the ISA itself, for the instruction set architecture, and the underlying specifications for that ISA. And the foundation is quite you know, uh, you know, a proud supporter, if you will, and, and cheerleader for any and all implementations. So the actual microarchitecture and architecture of cores uh, that implement the ISA. Um, and there's there's a lot out there, right? For for profit, nonprofit, open source, closed source, proprietary, lots of different risk five implementations, which is great. The you know the ecosystem is is really growing quite nicely. And for, for individuals who are, are interested in open source implementations, and in particular, system Verilog implementations that leverage standard commercial tool flows where, you know, if you're a high-volume semiconductor company, 
uh, you, you know, with you know standard CAD, uh, commercial CAD, and the EDA flows that you use to develop your SOCs, you know, a, no, a known good tool chain that you use to produce known good silicon, system Verilog implementations with, with appropriate verification that stitch into that quite easily are quite attractive, right? So what we're focused on within the open hardware group with our core five family of open source RISC five cores is exactly that. System Verilog IP verified to industry standards, if you will, that can be used in high volume production SOCs by by today's uh, chip vendors. So it's you know chip IP, by chip people, for chip people, high volume production targets. Mm -hmm. That's good stuff. So Rick, Brandon Lewis here. Is Open Hardware Group, I know that you're a member of the uh, RISC-V Foundation and you just mentioned Core 5, uh, which is a family of cores that are derivative from obviously the RISC-V ISA, but does the Open Hardware Group have any limitations in terms of the types of open source technologies that it's going to work with? For example, I know that there are some MIPS open initiatives and, and other types of organizations that are really interested in this sort of open source processor technology? Right, good question, Brandon. So not through a, you know, a bylaw or governance framework uh, limitation, no. That, you know, we, there, there's nothing the way that we've constituted the organization that would be limiting. But quite practically and uh, from a focus standpoint, you know, in the near-term focus for the group is RISC-V-based cores, and in particular the pulp. Uh, platform cores at the ETH uh, Zurich University. That's the initial core contributions that make up the Core 5 family. You know, our near-term focus is on those cores, enhancing them somewhat with, with a few additional features and improving the coverage from a verification and validation standpoint so they can be used in, in high-volume SOCs, as I said earlier. So there's there's sort of a do we have any governance limitations that would stop us from doing other things? No, we don't. But practically speaking, the members that have the catalyst that's brought us all together is, in fact, risk five, open risk five implementations, and that's the near-term focus. A, a real quick question. I don't want to take the uh, emphasis off of the open hardware group, but can you speak a little bit to the pulp uh, uh, derivatives of risk five and uh, how they're doing? commercially or just uh, academically even via adoption versus some of the other derivatives that are out there uh, today? Yeah, so I don't know that I'd use the term derivatives, though, Brandon. I mean, they're, they're core implementations of the ISA, right? So it's, it's not right. a derivative. It's not right. something different. This is the ISA spec, and this is a core that implements it. So, and as I said earlier, there are other cores. So early on, the PULP platform group at ETH Zurich, so PULP stands for Parallel Ultra Low Power, and the, that group has been doing a lot of low-power, ultra-low-power research for years. They've used different cores in the past because, the, you know, the SOC work that they do isn't necessarily part of the research for the core, but they need to have a core in the SOC to drive some of the other circuits and different research that they're doing. And they've played around with different uh, controllers before RISC-V came along. Hey, this will work. We'll, we'll do our own RISC-V uh, implementations. They're a system Verilog house. That's just how they're uh, constituted, if you will, in terms of how they're set, set up. So they started implementing uh, uh, RISC-V-based cores for their, to help drive their own research. 
And being a university, you know, throw the things up on a, on a GitHub repo and open source them. And as RISC-V became more and more popular over the last few years, these cores from ETH Zurich got a lot more attention because they were well done. Uh, you know, the, the implementation was, was pretty good. They were using System Verilog, which is the de facto HDL implementation language that large volume semiconductor companies use. So it made it easy for companies to say, hey, I want to learn more, play with some RISC-V cores. Oh, here's some. Hey, they're not half bad. I'd like to use these in production. And that's kind of what, um, and, and in fact, there are some companies who are using them in production already. But that's what, that's, as I said earlier, that's the catalyst that brought us together to create an, a, you know, an official nonprofit open source organization to you know, basically own and drive the roadmap of these implementations. It seems a little weird to me that you're the open source hardware group. Whenever I think of open source, I immediately think of software. Why is, is, is it not software and hardware that you're trying to, what's the word, standardize? It's probably not the right word, but that's the one I'm using now. Well, actually, we are doing software, but it's in support of the course, right? So, as you know, we're partnered with the Eclipse Foundation, and the Eclipse IDE is very popular for, for use by you know, many of the, of the chip vendors out there as a development environment, as an integrated development environment. So we'll be doing some work around you know, compiler optimizations for the cores that we're working on. We'll, we'll be doing some, you know, contributing to some OS porting work and so on. Most of that stuff we'll push up into, if not all, we'll push up into the appropriate repos that are hosted by the organizations that control those, you know, those distributions. The artifacts that we're going to be controlling and committing, you know, to and, and releasing are, are the actual cores themselves. So it's not at the exclusion of software. We'll be doing the software that, if you will, within the ecosystem that enables the use of these cores. Why wouldn't you be one of the committees within the RISC-V Foundation? Again, the, the RISC-V Foundation is not about implementations. There are no core developments that happen inside the RISC-V Foundation. Not but isn't the purpose world. of the committee that would be under the banner? Uh, no. The, the constitution of the RISC-V Foundation is this ISA spec, right? That specification stack that defines the ISA. If you think about it, the ecosystem, you know, that we were trying to, and still are, that, but the ecosystem that the RISC-V Foundation is enabling is any and all implementations and not picking favorites, you know, of one set of implementations over another, for one. Um, and it, it really wouldn't be possible to have all the implementations, if you will, within one organization. So think of Linux and then the various you know, Debian, Ubuntu, Fedora distributions, right? Those are all part of different organizations for different reasons and driven differently, but they're all Linux. The closest analogy I can come up with, but it, it's not exactly a one-to-one -one match, but it, you know, it's, it's, it's very similar. Okay, one more that, for you. We were to look at, say, 18 months from now. Where do you see the open hardware group being? You know, what role would it be playing as, you know, at, at that point in time? Our roadmap, so we have a 32-bit four-stage core 
called Risky that the Pulp guys named it that. So that'll be, you know, obviously well-released, some upgrades, features and functionality updates to it, and, and validated and, and released and used in, in, in production. We have a 64-bit core as well. That uh, Those are the two initial cores in the Core 5 family. And I expect that we'll be fleshing out that roadmap with different pieces of functionality and cores covering different price, our, our power performance and area, PPA metrics, with a, with a healthy roadmap of, of cores. You know, think of, think of it as a, an IP library that you'd get from an IP vendor of cores that cover the waterfront in, in terms of different PPA metrics. Awesome. Well, if you'd like to learn more, you can visit Open Hardware Group's website at www.openhwgroup.org. Rick, thank you again for taking the time. Oh, thank you. All right, how about uh, we head over to the news desk, Laura? Well, thank you, Brandon. First piece of news I would like to start with has to do with XFab and eFabless. They have released the first silicon of Raven, which is an open source SOC reference design based on the Pico RB32 RISC-V core. Yeah, it's pretty interesting here. So now you see uh, RISC-V solutions actually being put into silicon and coming to market. One of the things, though, that's interesting about this particular Raven test chip or reference chip is that 75% of it or so is XFAB IP. It's a mixed signal SOC. They've got some analog there and some standard blocks as well. And what that kind of does is it eases RISC-V into the marketplace. So you don't have a lot of the uh, second guessing of just a completely RISC-V chip because you've got a lot of proven XFAB IP on that, on that SOC as well. And it looks like it was created in a pretty fast amount of time, less than three months, using an open source design flow. And what's the significance of that? Yeah, I mean, it's sort of, uh, this, is, this is where open source software meets open source hardware. And in a, a lot of cases, that's been problematic in the past. As we know, open source software moves really, really quickly. But here, using an open source design method methodology and some open source tools uh, out of the eFabless community, they were able to really push through from design start to uh, tape out in just two or three months, I think, three months. Wow, that's pretty cool. Do you think that's going to be a trend that we'll see going forward? We'll see, <laughs> uh, at least until somebody comes out with a chip that they have to spin again. All right, very cool. I also want to talk about TCG. They have developed the world's tiniest TPM, uh, which is a trusted platform module, which is supposed to be really beneficial for security and IoT devices. Very cool. Yeah, it's called uh, Radical, and it looks like they're going to be showcasing it um, at their all-members meeting in Warsaw. So mm -hmm. I'm not sure if it's in mass or high-volume production yet, but that's uh, pretty interesting, especially for some smaller uh, resource-constrained applications. Yeah, hopefully we'll get to see a little bit more of it as it applies to the autonomous cars and the automotive industry, because I, I definitely want to dive into that a little bit more as time goes on. And anything connected, really. Yeah, very true. I also want to switch gears and talk about uh, an application mm -hmm. instead of products. So, um, for once. For once, <laughs> yes. So uh, I want to talk about CEA Tech. It's a research institute. Uh, over in Europe. They're French. We're not going to try and say the name. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I failed my French class in high school. I didn't even take <laughs> French. <laughs> they have started a smart farm project with the Sarmenti sensor node that will provide farmers with a uh, region-free sensor platform to monitor real-time soil nutrient concentrations and measure local environmental conditions. Yeah, that's really cool. Uh, one interesting thing is that they are using a private and, I believe, proprietary network. So while we've been talking a lot lately 
about uh, networks like LoRa and maybe even Sigfox. This is still in the uh, private domain. Mm -hmm. um, and of course, you know, it's just a prototype. CEA Letty is, uh, is very famous in Europe for pushing the boundaries and getting some of the new tech from sort of the research and development phase out into actual applications of the real world. So it'll be interesting to see how this progresses. Yeah, I want to talk a little bit about what it actually is going to do. Um, it, it consists of three different devices, and it has a soil probe that will mainly contain electrical electrochemical sensors, excuse me, in a hygroscopic membrane to monitor soil nutrient concentration. It also has an air probe located just above the ground to monitor gases and environmental conditions by the soil probe. And it has a smart data logger that will collect data from both probes and transmit them to the cloud. This way it can gain some analytics information and provide farmers with advice about optimal fertilization. Yeah, that's, uh, that's really cool stuff. I'm always excited to see um, when tech, like I was saying, goes from the lab into the field. Yeah, then, literally the field. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, so we'll keep an eye on that. Sounds good. So, uh, Laura, where can people find this and other news? They can always go to our website. We are at embedded-computing.com. We upload several news items a day, so always come and check us out to keep on top of what's going on in the embedded world out there. Go find us on Facebook and like us under Embedded Computing Design. Follow us on LinkedIn under Embedded Computing. Follow us on Twitter at Embedded underscore comp, that's C-O-M-P, and on Instagram at Embedded underscore Computing. Awesome stuff. Well, hey, thanks. It was an interesting podcast this week. And Definitely. And I look forward to next week. Sounds good. Thank you all for tuning in. Until next time, we are Embedded Insiders.